Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So welcome everybody. My name is Casey. For those of you who do not know me, might be new. Welcome to Insight LA Long Beach Sunday Sit. I'm going to talk today on becoming a urban Buddha. <laughs> Everyone I see already is, but talk a little bit about that. So I kind of see this talk as um, maybe the final installment of a trilogy of talks <laughs> that I've given the past few weeks. We started off with a talk a few weeks ago called Creating Your Sadhana, or What is Your Sadhana? A sadhana, of course, is a, is a practice regimen. And we did so through reading a sadhana from Tibetan Buddhism, the Chinrezig Sadhana. And the key there was to look at what is your sadhana, something that makes it personal to you. And so I think today we're going to look a little bit deeper into that. And then uh, a couple weeks ago, I guess, I did a talk on trusting your innate perfection. We could have all the tools, all the practices in the world, but if we cannot trust in our own innate potential, then we really are not motivated to, to do it or we don't have the belief to do it. Before we could actually succeed at something, we have to believe in ourselves, right? That we can do it. So that's what we went over last time. And we read things from saints and saints, sages, teachings from different parts of the world, different religions, different time periods, all saying the same thing, right? So when we're talking about practice, so becoming an urban Buddha, for example. We're talking about how, how to achieve what we're looking for uh, in our life right now. Because this is it, right? This is it. This is the only chance that we have. Unless any of us are moving to the Himalayas soon or taking monastic vows soon. Whatever our life is, this is it. And we have this beautiful thing called impermanence, so we don't know how much longer we have, fortunately, because it's a beautiful thing that we could look at that and say, I have to practice now. So I have to make it work now, right? In my current situation, this is it. So we look at what we're, what we're looking to achieve. And there is, of course, a philosophy, the perennial philosophy that I've always really agreed with. And that's that all religions are saying the same thing. And Aldous Huxley, of course, put this into a nice little succinct definition for us. So what are we achieving? And of course, we might be achieving, wanting to achieve through our practice, just a greater sense of happiness. That's fine. This is more of like 
an ultimate realization sense, but the perennial philosophy is that there is an infinite changeless reality beneath the world of change. The same reality lies at the core of every human personality. The purpose of life is to discover this reality experientially. Right here in the now. So this is pretty much what everyone's saying, right? So how do we do that right here? If we look at, let's take someone who's taken vows, a monastic's taken vows, or a Himalayan cave yogi. We think, you know, what have they done? You know, what's the big difference? And if, and if we look, we could see the big difference, and we actually call them, this is actually a label, we call them renunciants, right? Renunciants. So they've renunciated something. And then if we look at what have they renunciated, it's really easy to look at the external. They've, re- they've taken vows of celibacy, uh, not to take intoxicants, all these things. They've renunciated these worldly things, right? But if we look deep, deeper into renunciation, behind that is really renunciating why we are looking to, um, why we need those external things. In other words, we're filling up the space of our lives with these external objects, especially the cell phone, (laughs) the smartphone now, right? That's like the go-to object for a lot of people. But it could be anything. So even if you're a Himalayan cave yogi, you could have all the renunciation of all the external objects, but you still need to fully renunciate in your mind. Now, we just did 30 minutes of this, right? So true renunciation would be to be with the mind, allowing it to settle in its natural state without grabbing on to all those yummy thoughts about what's next, about what happened, about what I want, what I like, what I don't like, that sound, those stupid cars, you know, whatever it might be, right? So we're really moving into fearlessness. So this is true renunciation is a renunciation of the fear of being with ourselves. And fear might be a strong word for that. It might be discomfort of being with ourselves. And instead, instead we're moving that into trust. Trusting in our innate goodness. We're replacing that with trusting in our innate goodness. So if we could trust in our innate goodness for a moment, which we did, that's why we're all here and we sat and did absolutely nothing for 30 minutes. So we must have some trust already or we wouldn't have done that. We're trusting that for 30 minutes, we're not going to look out here at all and we're going to get something and that something that we're going to get is going to be positive. So we see how courageous that is. That's an incredibly courageous too. And it's, it's filled with this trust. 
And it's filled with this fearlessness. So this fearlessness is removing the doubt that we're not good enough. So when we go and we reach for that something that's going to fill up our existence for that moment, what exactly are we moving away from? See, that's where the rubber meets the road. Whether we're in the Himalayas or right here, we have to make that choice. That's it. Right? That's the actual something. Are we going to move this way or are we going to move this way? And that's the difference between samsara and nirvana. Ergen Rinpoche says if we're looking this way, we're in samsara. If we're looking this way, we're a Buddha. That's it. And so looking at it like this, we could see our lives. It's not really made up of of all the things that we think of practice, like this formal, formal sitting, of course, that's important. But how could we make that decision in our everyday life throughout our day? Like how, how and when can we make that decision? For one, I see this very clearly in my life on my commute to work. I could turn on the radio and there might be a good song or like good like morning radio on, right? But also I find that my commute to work is a wonderful time for me to practice metta. So this is a really good loving kindness practice for me. Because there's just people around driving and I could just emanate kindness to them, right? I could work on that. So for me, I know that that's a good heart practice for me. Yet, it's very easy to turn on the radio, just zone out, right? Just like, I'm on my way to work, just not have to think or do a practice. So those people at work, you know, those triggers, those are a good, are a good object for us to, to use as practice. All those little things, making that decision. Right? So I was able to spend a little bit of time with my friend, Nam, uh, Venerable Namsel, who came and spoke a couple months ago. This past week, we were hanging out. And he lives with Sokni Rinpoche, and he was saying how Sokni Rinpoche, when he visits <laughs> Southern California, he says, you know, in Southern California, samsara almost works. <laughs> like, he's like, samsara almost works here. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so good. <laughs> the food is so good. Everything's so pretty. It's like a little god realm. Mm-hmm. Like, it almost works. That we could, instead of replacing moments of mindful, non-judgmental, compassionate awareness and fill that goodness, we could actually fill up our days with little tidbits of happiness. And it almost looks sustainable, right? It almost looks sustainable. (laughs) And of course, this is what Buddha found out too, right? As Prince Siddhartha, it was almost working, right? It was almost working. Until he left the gates of the palace and he came upon old age, sickness, and death, right? And he thought, oh, it's not working. <laughs> it's not going to ultimately work. And, and so 
a renunciant having our, our challenge is that we have all these yummy things in front of us that we could grab onto all the time. And so that's one, one challenge that we have, let's say, as opposed to um, a monk or a monastic. And again, I was, uh, I was with Namsel, and he was talking about, I don't know how we got on the subject, but just wearing the robes, you know, and what that's like. And he says, you know, one thing is that it keeps me really aware, keeps me really mindful, and it keeps me out of trouble. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't walk into, I, I'm very aware of even the environment that I walk into wearing a robe, like even walking into a movie theater mm-hmm. is a bit odd, he says, when I'm, if I'm in my robes, right? So, so just, this is an, an outward, um, uh, something, some assistance, so being an urban Buddha, we have to be extra vigilant. We have to be extra mindful of those things that we want to go out and touch because they're everywhere. And that's what's so beautiful about retreat. Like when we go into retreat and all those things are removed, the cell phones are removed, the, the constant communication, the constant need for external stimulus is removed, and we get to touch and really be with that innate goodness. And we remember, oh, I don't need that. I'm already it. I'm okay, just as I am. And in fact, more than okay. Right? We're giving up this amazing bliss for these little tiny worldly pleasures, right? <laughs> like Yogananda used to always say, you keep doing these things, you have no time for bliss. You have no time for bliss. What are you doing with these little things? <laughs> So I want to move into another meditation just with this in mind, right? this innate goodness. And also with it in mind that what, what we are right now, we are all the time. We could take this, this, this nowness, this meanness, it's with us all the time. just moving into something that is always in the here and now. Of course, one of the first foundations of mindfulness is mindfulness of body. The body is always with us in the here and now. The body is real. The sensations of the body in the here and now are real.
and move into the sensation of the body, whatever is most available to you in this moment. being with the present moment on purpose. Non-judgmentally. And you see how much you can allow the mind to rest. The analytical mind can be at complete ease, just experiencing the experience of being Being with the body, if it's comfortable for you, you could be with your breath, the sensations caused by the movement of breath. Just letting those thoughts come and go, experiencing moments of renunciation where the moment is enough.
and just watching, watching as the conceptual analytical mind will want to put something on top of the experience. Experiencing the body. Without the commentary. sound is happening in the moment. You want to shift your awareness to that vibration of energy that we commonly label sound. There's nothing wrong with thoughts either. Thoughts come, they abide, they go, no problem.
So we did it. Mm. We were Buddhas for like six minutes. <laughs> so whatever that was that allowed us to go from out here to in here, or when that thought came and you came back, right? How many people had a thought that came and then you liberated it, you let it go, and then you came back? At least once, right? So Garchin Rinpoche, which is one of my favorite quotes, I say a lot. Garchin Rinpoche says, immediately as you liberate one thought, the moment you liberate a thought, you're a Buddha. And he says, everybody feels it. Because we're all connected. All sentient beings feel it, whether they know it or not. It's how powerful it is to release just one thought. That's it. That, whatever that was that we just did, it's always available. And it doesn't make a difference where we're at, where, if we're in retreat or in our car, anywhere, right? It doesn't matter, right? That's it. And it's always here. So we might have a little bit more, many, some more challenges that there's a lot coming at us, but we always have the choice. But being that our life is very much alive in worldly circumstances, let's say if you're on retreat, you have your four sessions a day, how many hours it is, three hours, you have your practice, you have your sadhana, you know, you're prostrating, you're meditating, you're doing walking meditation, whatever it is, right? You eat, you do mindful eating, you go to the next practice, it's regimented, right? But as Thich Nhat Hanh says, he's like, what's your Buddhism? He's like, what? we all need our own Buddhism. It doesn't have to be Buddhism, I'm just using that as an example. It could be like, like I mentioned, like, what's your sadhana? But it has to be alive. And we have to trust that we know for it to be alive. Right? Because there is no sadhana for you, for you or for today, for your, for your today. I remember when I was a teenager, I had no idea what I was doing. And I would buy these notebooks and I would just write, myself and God are one. And I would just fill up notebooks with that. And I, I again, I was just doing it. I don't know what I was doing. And I, I didn't read it somewhere, but I would just fill up these notebooks with it. And I stopped doing that, I think because I was such a seeker and I wanted to be told, what should I be doing? Right? That wasn't in any practices that I read, so I like, abandoned it. You know? But looking back, you know, that's a valid practice. Why not? That was valid. No problem with that. You know, or I like, I love you practice. Maybe many of you done I love you practice. Well, you just wish somebody could be a total stranger and you just internally say, I love you. I love you, you know, because I love people. I love you. That's a valid practice. A valid practice might be something very organic in the moment in life. So we have to trust that that's a valid practice. 
whatever that is to you, and to know that that's it, and that's it. That you're the Buddha already. So you know, taking this in, and we had a little bit of a discussion with this, and maybe you have sat with it a little bit from our first talk, for those of you that were here a few weeks ago, on what is your sadhana. But I want to kind of encapsulate this kind of book in this with another discussion on how can we put this into our daily life. So coming together in small groups and maybe just discussing about what it means to you for this you know, kind of made up thing, urban Buddha. Like, what's it mean? Like, how could we fit that in? Where can you fit that in specifically? And the more specific we can become, we don't need to be specific in our group, but mentally, about what it means to you. But then really write it down. Like, what's this mean? I'm going to do this. This is a practice for me. So does anyone want to chat about what they came up with, the things that they have, the instances that they use, or they could bring this into their practice in everyday life? Don in there. Yeah, Don, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, Don. I just, um, one of the things that Bonnie started with that um, I never really think about, but um, uh, that I just kind of like to um, acknowledge people. Um, and, you know, when I'm going through a line, you know, Trader Joe's or you know, how are you doing, you know, just, you know, making the connection with people. and. Um, or you know, out on the street, you know, making eye contact and you know, you know, sending some good thoughts or whatever. I mean, it's just something that you know, expressing that kindness in, in my um, interactions with the humans that I run into. Um, and I didn't really think of it, you know, in terms of a practice of um, meta or Buddhism or anything like that. But um, when she we began talking, she mentioned that. I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thank you. Oh. Okay, so it's hard to explain, <laughs> but starting to be pay attention to the nature of thought and the pattern of thought. And so and getting closer to well is that and I think it's maybe meditating actually on the nature of thought and noticing, well, is this actually coming from a creative process or a fantasy process? And knowing the difference. So it's like, well, what's at the root of the thought? And how is it taking me away of coming back here? And they helped me, please. Help me. I want to thank them. And, you know, knowing what to do with that because it just lately I noticed like sort of a headiness of um, planning and part of it might be creating, right? So just starting to pay attention and knowing the difference. Great, thank you. I identified with uh, you talking about 
I always call him Numskull. What's his real name? <laughs> Namsel. Namsel. <laughs> and his dad calls him Namsel. Yeah. Um, on, on my truck, I have like a Got Bliss and um, Save Tibet and some different stuff. And, uh, and I know when I'm driving, if I, um, I'm tempted to flip somebody no. off, <laughs> I think, well, you got this stuff in your truck. <laughs> it's not going to move his black very well. You know? And so it, it kind of uh, helps to shape my behavior. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> we all need that. <laughs> Um, yeah, we talked a little bit, you know, we're both novices, I think we're still learning a lot, and um, learning about how, you know, when we first learned about meditation, it seemed like an isolated practice, you know, and then having, feeling actually very grateful and happy that there's a community for it, it's not just like that, but also that it can be extended throughout the day and all the activities, mm -hmm. so I think we're both very curious about learning more about all of this, mm -hmm. and we're sharing about things that we've learned so we know about the, the meta prayer and the loving kindness. And mm -hmm. There's other things that you were talking about that we wanted to learn more about as well. So thank you, everybody, because we're learning from everything you say. So if there's something you talked about, you know, I think for us, I mean, this is my second time here. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I'm still learning from everybody you share. Wonderful. Me too. <laughs> thank you. Linda. Uh, um, there was some talk that was... Uh, very rich about uh, considering what is escape and what is self-care. Very rich. Thanks. Thank you. Um, there was a few things for when we were talking. You were talking about not being outside, you know, looking out as opposed to looking in. And for me, um, when I look out, then I feel not safe inside. Because it's like I'm looking outwards to find what I really need inside. Mm. Mm -hmm. And coming here for this anger, when I was driving down, I had just such a profound feeling of gratitude for our space here and for how it's grown over the years and bringing in you know when I first started I do the you know meditation and that was meditation and then I had my life and then <laughs> as I have a better you know looking for solutions for other people to do stuff better, especially at work. If they would do that, then my life would be better. <laughs> they would be here to <laughs> But as I slowly started realizing they're not going to change, so if I could somehow bring this into there, well, what if I just try it, you know, instead of wanting other people to be different? Mm. So I stayed with that. What if? Okay, well, let's just wait and see. And a year later, everything is different, but nothing's changed on the outside. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. And when you were talking, I realized for the first time, I feel safe in myself. Mm -hmm. And we 
a few weeks ago we were doing that class with Wendy, um, the Tarot Bag, and I had an experience of not feeling safe and I had all this stuff come up and I realized I've been looking for this out there when it's really inside. Mm -hmm. So it's like, wow, I feel safe. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. Yay. And isn't that the best? I mean, really what they, you know, this feeling of, of sustainable contentment, this fearlessness, is really just the most beautiful thing ever. So I just want to finish up with um, some prayers, a little bit of meta practice. So here we have our prayer box and, and um, sending some, some good light to the beings that are um, in the prayer box that need some healing, mental, emotional, physical. And also, too, on Memorial Day, um, to send some specific meta to all uh, the all those beings that are affected by this terrible thing called war and violence and these beings that really go in there with some very pure intentions to be of assistance and uh, lose their lives and all of their families and some really special beautiful beings um, just all around the world not only for U.S. military, but all over the world. So pray for these these souls and the fam their families on, on this day. So we'll just close our eyes for the last few minutes here. finding that place where you feel compassion and kindness arise in your body. You can call this the heart center, whatever that means to you. And then setting the intention that this practice of loving kindness is going out towards all those individuals that we have placed in our prayer box. All those people in your hearts and minds right now that you know may need some assistance. All those people suffering from the effects of war, have lost loved ones. May they feel that safety inside. May all these beings be happy. May all these beings feel safe and protected. May all these beings know intimately joy 
and peace. these beings fill a deep sense of ease in life just as it is. Extending this emanation of warmth and kindness to ourselves. each other. May everyone in this room be filled with happiness and be free from suffering. And then finally moving out and extending our wish for happiness to all beings. May all beings be happy. May all beings be free from suffering. Money pay me home. Thank you all so very much your presence today. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.